0: Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. And Chipley, it's good to know that you have lights today because, hey, let let me just let me brag on all of our production teams at all of our churches because you guys don't see the hard work they do coming in early before the service, make sure everything's ready, run through rehearsal two or three times. And of course, Chipley went in this morning, man, their production team ran into some real issues and they were in the dark and their team got them up in the light going today because can we celebrate all of our production teams all of our campuses who work so hard to create a great experience for all of us every Sunday and you don't know how much technology glitches they have to deal with every Sunday to make sure that you have a great experience and so man I can't thank you teams enough for being an A-team on, you guys do great, ladies do great on our teams there. So hey, before we jump into today's conversation, uh, I also want to celebrate something else. I want to celebrate the life change that is happening in our student ministry this summer. So two weeks ago, we had 148 students and 26 leaders go to real-life camp. We had students who committed their life to Jesus, who recommitted their life to Jesus. We had 29 students baptized. So yeah, yeah. So... Watch the side screens and then we'll really celebrate at the end. that all of our campuses wow that is so amazing man I've watched that video so many times and every time I just get so emotional because here's what I know as a parent a grandparent being a pastor for 30 years I mean there is nothing as impactful in the child's life as when the parents and the church partner together to anchor faith deep in the heart of a child I mean, that partnership between a parent and the church, it is so vital in helping children and students grow into what we call adults who have a faith of their own. And a lot of times as parents, we think, well, the church interrupts our family life. And I just want to tell you, man, when you watch videos like that, it doesn't interrupt your family life. It is a partnership that changes your family's destiny. So for those of you who invest your time on a weekly basis to create environments that equip and develop our children and our students and their faith, let me just say thank you so much. And for those of you that are priority percentage givers, meaning that you have a plan to consistently give so we can create the environment that we create for children and students and provide resources for them to go to camp and also resources for you as parents on the RCC website and the app for you to help your children grow in faith during the week and communicate what we've been communicating either on Wednesday night or Sunday to your children in your home. Hey, thank you for being generous givers. In fact, in fact, what I don't want you to miss of what we just celebrated as a church is this. What we're celebrating today is the cumulative impact of years of people being committed to investing their time and their money for the sake of the next generation. People who will give six, eight years of their life for children in Wambaland and same thing for kids in Upstreet and and then Inside Out and Transit. So I just want to say, if you love celebrating life change in the lives of children and lives of students, and if you're a parent and you love what God is doing in your family, I would love to invite you to be generous with your time and your money. So if you want to invest in the next generation, we would love to have you serve in one of our children or student environments. You can stop by the gallery day. They can tell you how you can be involved in that. Or if you say, I just want to invest in that. Hey, you can drop your giving in the giving boxes on your way out, or you can just start up reoccurring giving on our app or our website. So for those of you who serve and give, thank you so much. Can we just celebrate everybody who serves in Wombatown Up Street and um, Inside Out Transit? Thank you guys and ladies so much. It's making a huge difference. I mean, did you see that number? A hundred and forty-eight students at Kent. That's incredible. It just amazes me. Um, And every week when student ministry kicks back off again, there'll be some 300, 350 students. On all of our campuses, that you will be impacting as a church every week, and about the same number for children as well every Sunday. It's incredible. It's just absolutely amazing when, when you watch that. And then I got a text from uh, Brian Pipping, who's the pastor at Fairhope uh, Church this morning, and he just sent pictures of saying, Man, a small church in Fairhope being able to perform as a big church thanks to RCC, because you provide all the resources for their children's ministry and all the decor and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, it's again, I mean, it's incredible what you're doing. It's absolutely amazing what you're doing, and so just thank you so much as a church for investing, um, man, just generously into the lives of um, the next generation. Now, as you've heard, we are kicking off a brand new series this morning called Nav Plan, and um, I'm so excited about this series. I've been excited about this series all year because I absolutely believe it's going to disturb you in a really good way. Um, in fact, the seventh week of this series, one of the, I'm going to give you a question every week and I'm going to give you to answer or some questions to answer every week and some homework to do every week. And here's the thing the, the seventh week of this series, I'm going to um, ask you, so what disturbed you the most about this sermon? Because it's going to disturb you really bad. But we're just going to build, build toward that the whole time. So if you walk out of here disturbed today, great. Because this is going to be a series of conversations that are going to take us on a journey to a greater discovery of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to have this growing, strong faith. Because see, here's the thing that I know. Coming through the whole COVID pandemic and and the processes that we've gone through, what what I've discovered is is that we have a lot of people who have been followers of Jesus or trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus who have a child-sized faith trying to handle adult-sized problems, and God never meant for that to happen. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a short period of time or, or many years or, or if you're with us today, and you're just trying to figure out what this whole thing of following Jesus means, and you still have a lot of questions or you have a lot of doubts, here's why this series is important for every one of us, and that is this. Everything has a starting point. You, you had a starting point if you think about that. I mean, and some of you, you were started on purpose. Some of you were a pleasant surprise, and we are glad that you're here. In fact, some of you, you were started with the help of the modern medical community, and that's absolutely pretty cool and amazing when you think about it that way. I mean, but we all had a starting point, right? I mean, if you're a dad or a mom, your parenting had a starting point. Your career had a starting point. I mean, your romantic history had a starting point, didn't it? I mean, most of you remember that starting point. I mean, that first crush, remember what that first crush was like? And then your mom explained, oh, you can't like her or you can't like him because they're your first cousin. <laughs> so you moved on, unless you're from Mississippi. But anyhow, um, <clears throat> I'm teasing. <sighs> but, but all of us can kind of remember that when our first crush, our starting point, you know, for our romance life, right? So some of you, you remember your starting point for your financial turnaround. Uh, others of you, you remember your starting point for your recovery from addiction. And, and that starting point has changed your life and has changed the lives of all the people around you. So here's the thing we want you to understand. Everything has a starting point, including your faith. And most of us don't think about that. Maybe for you, your starting point of your faith was a day in your childhood when you walked an aisle at the end of a church service and you went to the altar or you raised your hand in Sunday school class or you went to the front during vacation Bible school and you prayed what they call the salvation prayer or or the sinner's prayer. Or, Or maybe your starting point of faith happened in a confirmation class or a christening. But if faith has ever been part of your life, it had a starting point. See, if faith's ever been part of your life, there was this starting point, there was this moment when you started forming and framing some beliefs, a framework about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about what it means to have a relationship with God. So every one of us, we had a starting point where we created a framework for our faith. Now, now, your fame work for your faith may have included a belief something like this, that God will answer your prayer if you have enough faith or if you do enough good. Maybe somebody told you that, and and in your mind, you know, well, it's kind of like a game. And if I can figure out the right order, the right sequence, the right code, or the right set of actions, then God is going to give me whatever I ask for in prayer. So your framework included some belief of something like, well, God answers prayer when I get prayer right. Or maybe your framework included the idea that God rewards good and punishes bad. Like good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And if you're good, God is with you and he'll protect you from anything bad happening to you. Maybe that was your framework. Maybe the framework of faith that you had was that God heals people with great faith. Maybe a framework that you had was if you believed big enough and you prayed hard enough, God's always going to heal sick people. But you got to have enough faith. Or maybe your framework included the idea that God is real because I can feel him. Yeah, you know he's real because you can feel him. And then you don't feel him. And you go, I guess I lost him. God, I guess you left me. I guess you abandoned me. See, if you've ever had a faith in your life or any kind of faith in your life, that faith had a starting point. And that starting point had a framework for your faith about what you believed about God, or what you believed about scripture, what you believed about Jesus. And then this is what happens to most of us. We grow up, we get older, and some of us, for many of us, this just doesn't add up anymore, does it? You you found yourself doubting everything that you had been taught. Your framework just didn't work anymore. Because some of that stuff just didn't happen the way your framework said it should happen. And so you went to your priest or your pastor or a parent and you tried to figure this out and they give you these faith-based answers to fact-based questions. I mean, you are just told, well, believe more, have more faith. And as a result, your childhood faith crumbled. And now... As an adult, and students, you're young adults, so this includes you. There's sometimes that you wish you could rediscover or reignite your faith, but you don't know how to deal with what seems to be irreconcilable differences. And let me just go ahead and tell you: that's not uncommon. You're not unusual. See what we've discovered around here is that oftentimes adults, don't miss what I'm going to say here, this is so important, we discovered over the 30 years of passion, what I've discovered is that oftentimes adults need a new starting point for their faith. And it's not that all that we were taught as children were bad. It was an appropriate starting point for us as children. But what we were taught as children about Jesus and faith and the Bible, it was never intended to sustain us as an adult. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to help all of us hit that reset button and ask this question. If you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start? I want you just to just imagine for a minute, because most of us have never allowed ourselves to go there, because we want to look like we mature, that we had it together. But, but imagine that you had never heard anything about Christianity. Imagine that you had never read the Bible. Imagine that you had never attended church. You you never heard any of the Bible stories. Where would you start as an adult if you didn't know anything about the Christian faith? Now, let me just tell you. What I'm going to say next is probably going to surprise you and mess with some of you. Remember, this is going to be disturbing, right? I'll tell you this. You shouldn't start your adult journey. I'll tell you where you shouldn't start your adult journey of faith. And please hear me out on this before you send me an email, text me, call me, set up a meeting with me before you go posting on social media. Old Paul Smith has done went liberal on us because I can tell you I'm probably one of the most conservative theologians there are, and I love the Bible. I have given my life to preaching God's word because I absolutely believe the Bible is God's inspired word to us. But the starting point, here here I say this, but the starting point for your adult faith journey shouldn't be the Bible says. Now, this is where we started as a child. You asked a question, and you were told the Bible says. And that was the end of the discussion. And that was good. That was fine as a kid. I mean, nobody did anything wrong. But the Bible isn't, nor has it ever been, as we're going to see this morning, the starting point or the foundation for someone's faith. We, we don't believe things just because the Bible says, even though we believe the Bible is God's inspired word. There's something so much greater for why we believe what the Bible says. Because in all reality, when you think about it, the Bible doesn't say anything. The Bible is the name we use to describe a collection of documents that were written by people who were eyewitnesses to historical events that God inspired to write them down so we would have his word for us today. In fact, when the first followers of Jesus began following Jesus, think about it this way, there was no Bible. They, They didn't go around saying, the Bible says So if there was no Bible, what was their foundation of faith? I mean, there were the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament, but none of the New Testament had been written. So the Bible says was in no way their starting point for faith. So the question is, what was it? What was it? Even though we cherish and treasure God's word, what was it? And I think that is a question that is worth figuring out because the early followers of Jesus, well if you really think about them, their faith was absolutely amazing. I mean, go to Acts chapter 2, watch the birth of the church. It was absolutely astounding. I mean, it blows our faith away today. So that's where we want to start our conversation today, and that is this. If you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start? Now, to do that, we're going to begin by listening in on a conversation the Apostle Paul had with a group of people from Athens, Greece. Now, they had never heard about Jesus. They had never heard about Christian faith. I mean, this was brand new information for them. This was their starting point of faith. Now, this conversation is found in a portion of a journal that is written by a traveling partner of the Apostle Paul named Luke, and we call it the book of Acts. So, If you want to take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And here's what Luke has to say about this conversation. Acts chapter 17, it says, while Paul was waiting for them, referring to some friends he was waiting for in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, as as you read this, I don't want you to miss the emotion of this passage. I mean, this is a real place with real people. This is the same Athens that you could visit today. And the Apostle Paul, he sees all of these idols and he sees all of these altars to all these Greek gods, many of the Greek gods that you heard about or read about in school. And notice he's greatly distressed. And we're gonna discover why he was greatly distressed in just a moment. So notice what he does in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And I put Greeks who practice Judaism because they're not followers of Jesus yet. But they they, they fear God, and, and so they've taken on Judaism as their practice. So he says, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. So he's having all these religious and philosophical conversations, all these debates with people. And as we're going to see, debating, being philosophical, was all part of the culture of Athens. Notice this next part in verse 18. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with him. Now, you go, who are these people, the Epicureans and the Stoics? Well, the Epicureans, they believe the whole point of life was pleasure. Literally the best way to enjoy life was to keep life simple and enjoy another glass of wine. And some of you think, yeah, that's I fit in that group, right? But then who are the stoics? Well, the stoics believe that happiness was to be stoic, to think logically and live morally. And some of you just discovered your marriage issues, right? Um, one of you are epicurean, one of you are stoic. No. <laughs> but the reality and some of you are like, yeah, yeah, but 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 this is a real group of people. These were people that, and they were opposed to each other. So when they hear the Apostle Paul engaging in these conversations, they're happy to debate him because now they got somebody new to debate. In fact, notice the last part of verse 18. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the reason this was such a big deal to them was that even though Athens was full of all these gods, right, you couldn't introduce a new god without permission, hence the passage that he seems to be advocating for his god. Because see, in the past, what had happened is people would come in advocating a new god and it would literally start a civil war. So now they kind of had this policy that you had to go basically fill out an application, you know, get a development permit, you know, whatever. You had to go through the city hall to be able to present a new God. And once you got permission, then you could present this new God. Well, here's the thing. If someone could predict their death and then rise again, that would definitely be in the category of a God in their minds. So the conversation continues in verse 19. They took him... And brought into a meeting of Aragopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. They're like, Hey, we've never heard this before. You, you need to give us some details. Now, what is interesting is Areopagus is, still exists, you, you can still visit it today but they took him there. And here's why, because this is where they held trials and this is where they made judgments. Like this is a place that their city council would meet and they would approve a request to teach new ideas in the city. So this is why he, they took him there because he's got this new teaching. So the apostle Paul stands there and he says this in verse 20, you are bringing, or they say to him, to Paul, to Paul's, Paul, you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Notice what happens next. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Don't miss that line. You're very religious. And here's what I've discovered over the years of being a pastor. People who are very religious oftentimes have a very, very shallow faith. Don't miss that as we're going through this series. And why does he say that? Notice why. He says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Notice his argument about this. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I mean, this is just like this brilliant argument argument, because the Athenians, they were trying to keep all these gods happy, and they decided, hey, let's just build us one more altar just in case. This is the just in case it is their God, just in case we miss one of the god And the apostle Paul shows up, and he says, look, you don't really know what you're talking about, because you've got this altar that if this other god shows up, and you weren't expecting them, and you didn't even know what it was, you say, oh yeah, we were expecting you, we just didn't know what your name was. And what the Apostle Paul says, hey, let me do this. Let me take the un off of the known. Let me explain to you who this God is that you aren't certain about. So he begins to share with them in verse 24. Notice what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. In other words, the God that I'm about to describe to you that you don't understand who is or don't know who is, is bigger than all these gods that you worship around you. He created the world. He created everything in it. So there is no way that he's going to fit in one of your little temples or one of your little altars, or neither does he need you to bring him anything in order to survive. So think about what the Apostle Paul is saying to them about who God is here. It's kind of like when you find an extraordinary piece of artwork, you don't find the artist in the artwork, do you? Or when you find this incredible sculpture, you, you don't find the sculptor in the sculpture. Well, the same way with the world. You, you get to see all the extra, extraordinary beauty and the wonder and the glory and the greatness of God reflected in our world, but you won't find the creator in the creation because God is bigger than that. There are certain of his attributes that you'll see, but God is so much bigger than that. He's beyond his creation, including any little temple. And he doesn't need you to bring him anything to survive. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, it's kind of like you walk around your altars and you leave your God some jewelry and maybe a a meal deal from Chick-fil-A and a six-pack of Coke. And then the priests sneak in and they steal it all at night when nobody's looking and you think your God ate it. And he goes, that's not how it works. Not with my God. He goes, my God made everything. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need anything from you to survive. You need him to survive. Notice how he says this in the next part. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, referring to Jesus, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Why did God do that? God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, this word seek is a very interesting word. It's the idea to wander around or grope around in the darkness like you're in a dark room trying to find the light switch, right? So the Apostle Paul says, God knows that you don't have all the answers. He knows you're trying to figure it out. He's seen you groping around in the dark, and God did something for you. He turned on the light for you. He sent Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul does something very interesting. He he doesn't quote the Bible because it doesn't exist yet. And besides, these are Greeks, and they don't care about the Jewish Scripture. Instead, he quotes one of the Athenians, their own philosopher, and he says this. He says, you guys, you didn't entirely miss this. You, You bumped into a truth and you didn't even realize it. Notice verse 28. Here's what he says. For in him, referring to God, we live and we move and we have our being. And then he quotes one of their own poets. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now notice his argument after this. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, and you guys said this, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He said, like, how can you even think that? If you say in him we live and move and have our being, and then you reduce him down to just some little idle thing. He goes on. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to Repent. Now this word repent, it isn't referring to the idea that they should stop sinning. The apostle Paul hasn't even talked about sin yet. This simply means he commands every people everywhere to repent or literally change the way you think about who God is. It simply means you need to change the way you think. So he's saying in the past, You weren't really sure. You had all these altars to all these gods. But now God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. So this new information should lead to a whole new way of thinking about God. In fact, notice how the Apostle Paul says this in verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And some of them are probably saying, proof? What do you mean proof? I mean, this is religion. You just got to believe. It's all blind faith. There is no proof. And the apostle Paul says, no, no, no. God gave you proof. There's evidence Jesus died and he rose again, proving that he was who he said he was, that he was God in human flesh. And the and apostle Paul would go on to say, you know, I've talked to people who saw it with their own eyes. I can introduce you to them. If you want to travel with me to Jerusalem, I can show you who those people are. They're still there. You can hear and see it for yourself. And then Luke says this in verse 32. He says, when they heard this, or it says, when they heard this, apostle Paul speaking about the resurrection of the dead, they all fell to their knees and repented and tore down the altars to all their false gods. And if you're following along in your Bible, you're going, where are you reading that from, Paul? That's not what it says, is it? Now that's what it would say if you were making up this story. But this is a real conversation with real people that really happened. So notice what Luke really says happened. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Of course they did. Because when somebody dies, they generally stay dead. So like, Paul, you're telling me a dead man came back to life? Well, I just need some more. I need, I need more than your word on this. I, I, I'm just not buying this. But Luke continues to write what Paul said. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So we're, we're not sure, but we'd love to explore it. I'd love to hear more. Because what I think I just heard you say, Paul, is that Down in Jerusalem, there are some people who saw with their own eyes a resurrected Jesus. So I think I've got some questions on this. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul's like, absolutely, man, let's talk more. Because I talked to those people who saw it. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's definite evidence that God is for the whole world and he loves us and he can be known. So the starting point, For a mature adult Christian faith is not belief in belief or a belief system. It's not just the Bible says. It's not figuring out out what happened in seven days of creation or if Adam and Eve were real people or where their sons got their wives from or did animals really go two by two in the ark or could the whole earth really have been flooded? I mean, those are all interesting and very important questions to, to look at at some point in time. But they're not the starting point of an adult, mature Christian faith. So if you want to reignite your faith, if you want a starting point for your faith, the Apostle Paul is showing us where you start is with this question. Who is Jesus? The reason we have to start there is because some of you, your Jesus is still a Christmas Jesus. A baby Jesus in a manger. It's why every time you face an adult-sized problem, your world falls apart. I mean, th- this is the key question. Th- this will always be the foundation to a strong faith. It is the question. That's why when the Apostle Paul met people who had No idea who Jesus was and never heard of the Christian faith. He started with creation and then introduced them to Jesus, the one who came to communicate and demonstrate who God is and what God is like. And then he walked out of the Areopagus, leaving them with this question in their mind, leaving them with this question to wrestle with. And this is the question that I want you to wrestle with. Because see, we sang about this Jesus. And the last song really just focused on who he was. But do you really understand who Jesus is? Now, if you're not sure what to do with this, The good news is you could come back next week because this conversation today is just the starting point for us. This is going to be a eight-week long journey. But to help us begin to process this question, who is Jesus, let me give you three quick homework assignments that, and then a question that I want, or with this question I want you to process. And let me just say something. Every week you're going to get a question and every week you're going to get some homework assignments. Welcome to school, right? But here's the thing. What you do with these homework assignments is really going to determine what happens to your faith. Because it's the application, not the information, that changes our life. So first one, here's the first piece. This year we have been mentioning an environment that we have created called Explore. It is a four-week conversation that helps you dig deeper into this question, who is Jesus, and the rest of the questions that we're having through this series. And I would encourage you to let us know that you're interested in being part of Explore. You can go to our app and you can let us know. You'll see a tab on the RCC app that says Interested in Explore. And and there's this series, this Explore conversation, is going to happen on your campuses starting September the 10th. And on the app or at the gallery, uh, they can tell you when and where it's going to be. Now, just to understand, sometimes I'll talk about explore and engage, and people ask me, they go, is explore and engage the same thing? No, explore is all about discovering and, and, and understanding who Jesus is and all the other questions that we're going to be talking about in this series at a whole deeper level. And then engage is all about how do you engage in the mission and, and how do you engage in maturity and, and the ministry of, of RCC as a church? So it's two different things. Like saying engage and explore the same thing would be like saying that California and Connecticut are the same state because they start with C. Just a thought. You know what I mean? So um, just because they both start with an E doesn't mean they're the same. So um, that's the first thing. Go, go to explore. Now, the second part of the application is I want you to answer two questions. Two questions. Here's the first question. How and when did your faith journey begin? Like, when did you start your faith journey? When did it start? And here's a bigger question. Why did you start it? Because the why behind what you, why you started your faith journey is going to show you a lot of why your faith is where it's at. And the second question is this. How well is your faith held up under the pressure of life? In other words, has your faith supported you? Has it been strong through the challenge adult moments of life? Has it been strong in the adult storms of life? Or have you found that you're having to support and prop up your faith? Do you have a mature adult faith? And that is an important question to answer because the answer to these two questions especially are going to give you better insight how to apply this series to your faith journey. And then third, on the RCC app, you're going to find a tab on that home screen as well that says, Why Jesus? Now, if you click on that tab, you're going to find a link that's going to take you to Right now Media. And you're going to see a study for adults and for students entitled, Why Jesus? It's going to help you dig dig deeper into this question. Who is Jesus? You can do either one of those. There are study guides that go with them as well, but what it will do is this this is going to take you this week to a whole deeper level. David Nasser is going to take you on a journey. It's an amazing study. It'll help you so much. About uh, 15 minute conversations and then study guides for you to follow up with. Now this link, I'm going to send it out on the email that I send out every Monday evening as well. If you don't receive the email, you can stop by the gallery on your campus and you can sign up for that email because every Monday we talk about where we've been and where we're going and it can keep you in the loop. So um, this week what I want you to do is I want you to lean into this question who is Jesus because how I see Jesus and understand Jesus is the foundation for my faith is he still baby in a manger Jesus or is he king of kings lord of lords Jesus and it takes some time to process that so That conversation, or that question, I mean, it's going to be the foundation for where we go in the future. So this week, lean in. Who is Jesus? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible opportunity. I thank you for this opportunity as a church to go on a journey together. God, for all of us, whether we're trying to figure this whole thing out or whether we've been following Jesus for a short season or for many years, God, there's always times that we need a starting point or a restarting point so that we can experience what an adult faith looks like. So as we go on this journey together, as we answer these questions, and as we lean into the application process, God, I just want to thank you for the transformation that is going to happen in our lives. So that when adult problems hijack our life or adult storms hit our lives, we have an adult-sized faith. God, I just want to thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul that remind us Jesus is not just a Bible story. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing can compare. Creator of all, sustainer of everything. Love, grace, and mercy beyond measure. And may we begin to understand that as we go on this journey together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey everyone, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great day. See you next week for part two.